that trip uh, taught me that absolutely nothing is going to leave your system uh, unless it goes through you and that's the first thing to understand dealing with the uh, death of a loved one any loved one does change you to a certain extent self introspection is not a pretty process hey welcome to another episode of voices in my head today on the podcast i have sumiran anamari akashyap popularly known as thinking totty extremely interesting person she's a 33 year old from a private banking recruitment consultant to a freelance lifestyle brand writer she is known in the digital world as thinking totty a platform whereby she engages with brands on collaboration ideas and execution of brand storytelling besides blogging about fashion beauty and wellness currently she supports the communication and strategy firm longform and their clients the part that's interesting to me is that sumiran is a scholar of divination methods and metaphysical healing with a particular interest in thoth tarot i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly angel communications and crystal healing she credits these realms ayurvedic rituals and dr edward bach's flower remedy system for bringing her close to who she is always wanted to be i've never met sumiran before i've had one conversation with her on the phone and we hit it off we spoke for 40 minutes and i realized why i really wanted her to come on the podcast because here is a beautiful person with a beautiful mind and i'm sure you're going to think the same as always please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already my conversation with sumiran is coming up now it's online over skype so i do apologize for the quality of audio which sometimes can get iffy when you're recording online i hope you enjoy it and let me know what you think Hi. How are you? Good. You tell me. You made my day. I woke up and uh, saw what you wrote for. Uh, I don't know how much of the book you read, but I mean, thank you so much. It was uh, very kind of you. Take care. I. Take care. Um, uh, you know, the book made me a little teary-eyed because it was almost like um, listening to yourself talk because there are quite a few similarities between the journey you express, you've explained and expressed. I've almost. Um, I'm I'm yeah I am halfway through. Hmm. Um and um I, I went over the parts where you've written the poetry uh, yeah. several times in each case. Um um I you know I think um people feel a little less lonely when they read books like yours uh, because it's such it's so conversational. I I, I guess people like us people like us probably feel less lonely. of certain uh, normal normal people in courts uh, may not you know may feel that they they they're just reading something of a person who's not really there or not all there um i mean i'm going to talk about this in the in the podcast as well i mean if people read books and they think oh this is a person just talking about their life well that's how storytelling started yeah 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 Uh, uh so yeah. i i woke up and uh, i had um, you know i i went whenever i i opened instagram and i saw that and then i went on to to twitter because i've just got back onto twitter and honestly i hate, i hate social media trust me and it's you know i'm doing it so robotically and and uh, uh you know pritha is helping me with the with the pr so yeah. a lot of times it's just do this just do that and i'm i'm following instructions uh yeah No, no. Even I've just gotten back on Twitter, and it's a problem because I'm a talkative person. So you keep tweeting everything that's coming to your mind. It's like hmm. boom, boom, boom. 
So uh, I've also just come on board because I don't know someone convinced me to do it, and now I'm remembering why I got off it in the first place. I'm sure Instagram has its own pros and cons in a similar fashion, but Twitter's a lot faster. Yeah, and it's right. not that compartmentalized. Like you know, with Instagram grids, you like you go from one page to another page. You leave what you saw behind for a second. Twitter is just like a ticker. They should just yeah. call it like the headline ticker in the news. It's just like. Honestly, uh, the only good part is that a lot of people that I don't know have reached out, and of course, people that I know and have actually found solutions um, through the limited information that I'm, you know, trying to share, and that's been quite fulfilling if I can use that word because there are people who had yeah. you know some simple stuff like you know I put up uh, apple cider vinegar yesterday. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you know, someone's husband had a chronic uh, acidity issue, which got fixed because she put him on this, and it got fixed. And I'm so happy because that, that's what it did for me. And yeah. so, these are things that a lot of times I take for granted because that's all I do all day. Is this is my area of interest. I keep seeing, yeah. I keep reading about it. Keep you know trying to research that, and uh, I keep experimenting on myself but a lot of people who generically maybe on social media or generically just i don't know existing may not have the time to research this information or try it so when someone like this says it they'll try it and if it works that's like wow you know it works so then suddenly you become uh, the go-to person even though i mean I, I i really i mean i keep telling people i'm not an expert i'm not a doctor i'm you know i'm i'm a layman and that's the you know that's the perspective from which you, you'll see that i mean uh, the weakest point of my book is that I'm not an expert, but that's also the strongest point of my book that I'm not an expert. I agree. And yeah, uh, I agree. it's a layman's perspective, and I think most people can. Re- and we were we spoke about this as well. You know, people can relate. It's easier to relate to me as a layman versus me at this uh, me as a you know Nobel laureate who's. I don't know, discovered the cure to some crazy disease or something like that. By the time people reach this stage of the podcast, they would have already heard me introduce you because that okay. I, I, I always shoot that, you know, separately. Yeah. So how does, uh, I mean, and I, and I typically start with this, but we can start with anything that you like is that, you know, how does, no, no, a, how does someone who came from the private banking world now become you know, thinking totty. And, and I googled the word totty because I was a slightly unsure what it meant. And it said, and I wrote this down, girls or women regarded as objects of sexual desire. Now, I didn't know you needed a specific word for that. I thought that was quite understood in the world that we live in. But this was interesting. No, but, no, but uh, when, when it's the, the reason uh, I laughed out, like, out loud like that uh, when you said you googled it because that particular de- definition has a very has a sense of objectification around of the idea, which is not something I uh, subscribe to, nor do I propagate it, uh, which sounds contradictory because it's in the name. So I'll explain the origins of the name and where it came from, and then we'll go back into how I came to be thinking yes, uh, Dottie. So we're going to begin in Delhi and go to London and come back to Delhi as... Can uh, we just stay in London? Of- Sorry. Yeah. Keep talking. <laughs> um, I was in London, uh, I graduated in London at the time of the recession, actually. So, um, now, originally, uh, I, I was studying to be a biomedical scientist. Wow. And it's a very interesting story. Uh, and it's life, you know, it's uh, so many people out there have similar stories. So, uh, I was originally studying to be a biomedical scientist. And I had applied at Kingston University uh, in Surrey. So, that's more on the outskirts mm-hmm. of London to, to uh, pursue that course. And uh, 
my family and I we made a move, uh, and you know, I was about to start in a few months. Unfortunately, my mother's health took a very serious turn for the worse, uh, mm. and we thought that perhaps this is not exactly the best time to, you know, set up in a new country. So uh, we came back, but uh, my mom was very insistent that um, I don't drop a year, mm-hmm. you know, where my studies were concerned, um, and. Because she was in, in a delicate state of health, I didn't want to aggravate anything, so I started exploring other options. And the closest approximation at the time that was available was uh, psychology. And I okay. and I reasoned that later on I could go in for neuropsychology or something like that. And I said, okay, let's you know take that first step and then take it from there. And it was it was going beautifully. I mean, I, I had a blast. I was studying at Jesuit Mary College, uh, Delhi University. I had excellent teachers. Uh, my batch was amazing. My the seniors and the juniors were amazing. I had a, I had a wonderful time, um, and uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, not just uh, you know as far as the course was concerned, but also as far as the people were concerned. We had people from different cities, countries, cultures. It was an, it was a wonderful, wonderful year to be in the psychology batch uh, of JSC, okay. and. Um, and everyone knew that I was going to go into counseling psychology. The teachers, students, everyone knew that that was going to be my area of specialization. But uh, second year was also when, uh, unfortunately, my mom passed on, and okay. it was hard for me to handle because uh, I was very, very attached to my mom. You know, um, uh, I, I didn't have an understanding of reality without her. But it was quite a shock. I mean, I didn't know a lot of things. That was, I did, in fact, I realized how monocultural I was. After she passed on, mm-hmm. and um, I realized I couldn't do the whole counseling, the gray area bit, and I made a snap, knee-jerk uh, decision to go in for organizational psychology instead because I thought the black and white of that was better than the gray okay. of uh, counseling psychology. Mm-hmm. Although my interest, my aptitude was all in counseling and um, counseling psychology, and the teachers were against it, my friends were against it, but I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And I, I enjoyed it as well. It was fun, and I, it was a natural progression from that then to go back to Kingston uh, okay. to study organizing uh, uh, psychology, international HRM. That's what I took my masters in. And uh, my first job was in the university's uh, careers office, where, where, we, where we were recruitment administrators. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun because we're dealing with students. Um, and uh, at that time, my university had bid for some money from what we call the Higher Education Funding Council of England. Right. Uh, to put into a project, to put into a project for um, uh, graduate development. Right? Mm-hmm. The project was actually called G2B, Graduate to Business, and that's what it was. It was about taking a graduate and finding them um, a, a job with with a business, graduate to business. You know, the transition okay. from such life to work, so to speak. And um, this project was aimed at training people with employability skills okay. to improve their chances of landing a job, especially in the challenging environment of the Right. And uh, here I met potential future future employers who were working for headhunting firms. Right. And that's how I'm from recruitment administration into recruitment consultants. Okay. And I learned tremendous life skills and job skills. Discipline, uh, structure, target-oriented behavior. Although I'm not really a number cruncher, mm-hmm. not I'm not a salesy person, and recruitment is something like a sales function. There, it's not the same as uh, HR. And here we tend to sort of mix the two functions. Right. So that was another culture shock. Um, 
However, uh, well, there's nothing worse than being good at a job that you don't really enjoy. Right. I, I know. I you know, know what you mean. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like I, I yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. I did one of those for twelve years. Dis- I know what you mean. Yeah. The dissonance in that, and I feel horrible saying it because I feel ungrateful because I learned so much about how to live life and how to conduct myself and how to discipline myself and how to communicate. Mm-hmm. I learned so many skills, and I find myself applying so many of the phrases we had learned. Okay. Uh, in in that job, uh, even now, uh, for example, when we were trying to coax uh, a private banker that we were trying to poach yeah. into having a conversation with us, we were taught to say, "Would you be open to an exploratory conversation?" Which I thought was a lovely phrase. Yeah, that's And nice. I still find myself using that phrase. I think that can you can use that for anything, right? Anything. Uh, anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I use it. everywhere whenever it's like early stages of a discussion so someone approaching me for a brand collaboration on thinking totty uh, wanting to know more about you know how i go about it i'll i'll give them a broad outline and then i'll say i'm happy to have an exploratory conversation with you on the phone okay. and it takes me back uh, to the time when i first learned the phrase so you know it, that's just a very small example so i feel ungrateful saying things like um nothing worse than being good at a job you didn't like but what i meant is it wasn't really to my personality i'm not the kind of uh, you know numbers oriented person who it, it it used to you know it it aggravated uh, anxiety in me because i i would come to work first thing in the morning the first email that hits you is mm-hmm. one that shows your call log right. how long you've been on the phone the day before how many people have you spoken to why is it less than 3 hours the next email is like a league table as to where you stand with respect to the other consultants in terms of how many of your you know uh, how many new candidates have you added to the system how many first interviews have gone to second interview how close are you to your quarterly target and then you've got the red green yellow color coding mm-hmm. happening and everyone's reading it all at the same time so um i'm not saying that uh, I, as i said I, i was competent at the job but i didn't enjoy it because i didn't like this sort of stuff breathing That's, down my neck seems like a hyper competitive atmosphere or at least a very, very competitive high. atmosphere and i think very that's high. what the finance world and banking a lot of times yeah. um this is the way to do it unfortunately or, or and even sales i mean not just finance but any sort of sales job or and, and you know surprisingly how organizational behavior you don't typically hear of people who've done that put themselves under pressure in these kind of jobs i mean this is actually the first time i'm i'm hearing it for someone and i'm sure yeah. it must be happening a lot but for me must, it's new and uh, i thought that eventually i'd like to make a move from that sort of an environment and go in in house rather than agency mm-hmm. but because there's such a divide between what hr and recruitment is mm-hmm. in that work culture people don't trust you exactly. or they they assume you don't know what you want when you want mm-hmm. to make that kind of a jump so it okay. became a vicious cycle and uh, you know you started jumping from agency to agency to try and satiate yourself and then there comes a time when you've got more going out than you've got coming in sure you know and i felt so guilty about that stage in my life because i felt like this was the prime part of my 20s and i had been given all the space time resources anything i needed to run with whatever i had in mind and here i was just mucking up uh you were still in london then you were still yeah, in london yeah and i thought i was going with the flow as well i thought i was doing a good enough job of keeping my head above above the water during the challenging environment of the recession but 
that's when I realized, wow, you're really not the greatest thing since sliced bread. We all tend to think we're really good at certain <laughs> things, right? Till you hit the big bad world and you're like, wow. Okay. And I felt so guilty and I felt so upset about what was happening. And, you know, um, but now when I look back, I don't think I'd be the kind of person I am now if it wasn't for those four years. Sure. I wouldn't take them back. I wouldn't change them. And I got friends for life out of them, even, you know, personal relationships, uh, romantic relationships, intimate relationships, whatever I learned about humans through those, I would not change that for anything in the world, you know. Uh, so that's, the, so then I decided to come home because it, this whole thing of having too much going out and not enough coming in mm -hmm. was not a great idea. And I needed to like take a pit stop, right. you know, and sort of uh, do a bit of an inventory check and then consider going back. And that's, uh, it was during this break period that uh, uh, I met my, uh, you know, then boyfriend, then husband, now ex husband. We were not together anymore. Um, and um, I, the, the idea of going back to another country at that time just became a distant fact because I was very much here. Uh, I was exploring similar options here. Uh, it was during this um, downtime period that I started uh, rediscovering writing as something I enjoyed doing. Right. I had still at that point not taken it seriously enough. I was just using the time to take a bit of a break and spend time with family. Okay. Uh, and, I, and my life in the UK had kind of taken a toll on my health because, you know, um, I felt like the kind of person I was then was just somebody who was living in this massive uh, coping mechanism capsule, mm -hmm. trying to deal with the death of, you know, the one parent who's always known. And I have to tell you, I was quite an insufferable human being because I was angry all the time. I was confrontational. Uh, I was difficult to deal with. Um, sure. Oh, yeah, I was. And I didn't realize it at the time, you know. Uh, there did come a point in time where I had to put out an email to friends to sort of explain my mind space. And then I decided to host a, a birthday party as a peace offering. And I said that if any of you don't come for it, I'll totally get it. But... That happened. I mean, it, it got so unpleasant and people were getting so affected by the way I was behaving that I was losing friends in this manner. And I think that was the first time when I seriously, seriously started understanding the importance of self-introspection. But did any, of your, did any of your friends who do you well recognize that this is out of character behavior or try to help you or try to say that, listen, uh, Samira, this looks like a, a mental health issue. Maybe you're not coping the right way with certain things that have transpired in your life. Do you need to get yeah. some help? Did they say that? Did anyone yeah. say that? Because yes. unfortunately, yes. I never got that kind of intervention and that maybe because I didn't give enough, uh, you know, uh, signals or warning signals or I didn't cry out loud enough for help and sometimes it just goes unnoticed you know people don't recognize I'm generally speaking an introverted person regardless of how well I may present on a podcast or in front of a camera or as an author I'm an introverted person I and I, I don't think I do too well with masses of people or uh, or beyond a certain you know handful of people and that's just me though you know that's uh, but uh, so I'm wondering. So that was interesting that some of your friends noticed that and and uh, yeah. said that to you that or tried to help you. Is that even? Uh, yes. Is it worth yeah, saying? Yeah, of course, of course. And friends, uh, partners, they they were good people, uh, and that's why you know it was important to reciprocate. 
Sure. Um, I think I think when you open up and you ask for help or even communicate how you're feeling, I think if, even if one person is willing to understand, it's it's a blessing. Oh yeah, agreed. I had I had that. I definitely had that, and um, I kept my family away from this okay. because I knew they'd be very very concerned. I mean, if any family members listening now, they'd be listening to it for the first time. To be honest. Oh wow. Um, so yeah, yeah. So um, I, I wouldn't change those four five years for anything because at work I learned so much about work life, and outside of work I learned so much about what it meant to you know interact with people and uh, what it means to really give and take. You said you started writing I then. Started, yeah. No, I started writing when I came back here. Okay. And um, I was I was very sporadic with it. Mm-hmm. I was very very sporadic with it. Because I had still not uh, managed to wean myself away from the idea of the relative stability okay. of the corporate commercial job that recruitment was, um, I, I was still exploring options here. At the sure. same time, my heart wasn't really pushing me to sign the dotted line with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was quite in a state of flux. Uh, I was trying to take the opportunity to, you know, uh, reconnect with. My original area of interest, which was uh, the counseling, behavioral psychology that I had left in college. Sure. Um, you know, I, I tried to look at short courses or things that could help me come back. You know, these are fields where you need some sort of accreditation to get back. Absolutely. Or get yeah. You can't just jump from, you know, a, a corporate job like that and just start, you call yourself a child psychologist. You can't, right. you can't do that. Right. So, um, you know, um, and then I realized that... Uh, when I was sort of uh, grasping at the straws for that, that's when I realized that I, I was dealing with a very expensive mistake, expensive in every sense of the word, because right. um, you just have to have the confidence to, you know, uh, follow your instinct and stick to it. Um, if I had to deal with uncertainty, I would have rather have dealt with the early uncertainty one feels when one is following one's instinct. Right. Then have to deal with this kind of uncertainty. But very rarely does anybody get this right. You know, people don't really get this right. I mean, I haven't gotten this right. I've made several expensive mistakes. You can ask my my parents; will be very happy to tell you what uh, expensive <laughs> mistakes that I have made. So it's difficult, and and also it's much harder when you're younger. I mean, I remember how it was to go in college, and what did I want to do? I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I, I maybe now. At uh, almost 35, I now, I think I know what I want to do, right? I'm enjoying uh, podcasting as a medium. People seem to be people like yourself who I consider to be amazing writers. And uh, I, I know that you need to, you know, write, write a, a, a book yourself with, because I've just, you know, anybody who can go on your Instagram and just see the way you write and it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I think maybe I'm finally in the right place mentally and 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 this is what i need to do but it took me hey maybe 33 34 years to figure that one out so it's not easy uh, it was scary for me because i've always been the person who always knew what they wanted to do and i had okay. a very clear-cut organized way of going through things that's amazing um yeah no always even when i was in school um so this was this was all new to me um but uh, you know, out of expensive uh, mistakes come priceless experiences. That's wow, La- that's such a good quote, yeah. Quote. <laughs> you write it down. Yeah, that's such quotable quote. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a note of that later. 
Yeah, but that's that's how I looked at it, and um, you know, it all had a role a role to play. I'm grateful for all of it, absolutely all of it, because there are so many uh, experiences in my job now, whether it's my day job or whether it's me uh, interacting with people and with brands as Thinking Totty. There's always elements of psychology and child psychology or organizational psychology coming in, sure. and things just fly out of my mouth when people are talking to me, and they're like, "How do you know that?" I do know that because I'm a voracious reader and I absorb what I read really well, uh, and I, I don't mean to say that in a you know, self-flattering way, but it is a, it is a knack. I I enjoy reading. I enjoy study. Right. I enjoy study. I enjoy research, and I'm very excited uh, with new skill acquisition all the time. This is right. this is my right. greatest uh, trait. Right. This is my greatest trait, and um, so thinking thoughtly was uh, born. Out of um, memories of a phrase that people used to use in the UK, uh, the original phrase is "I'm a thinking man's daughter." Okay, okay, that's so derogatory. Yeah, at least sounds derogatory. It yeah, because of the meaning of the word "daughter" there, and um, it's urban street slang. Yeah, like "daughter" rhymes with "haughty." I think if you want to remember what "totty" means, I think "haughty" means kind of the same thing. Except "haughty" is not specific to women; it could be used for a man too. Um, it could. But and, uh, and then there's H, and then there's H O T T I E, and then there's H A U G H T Y. Yeah, oh God! Yeah, yeah. Now, now you're really doing, <laughs> <laughs> doing the wordplay. Uh, and now I'm doing. So that's when you came up with. Uh, so from from that phrase, you said the thinking man's. Totty came out. A thinking man's totty because, you know, I reckon thinking men like thinking totties. Okay, okay. It because it's so rare to find a man who thinks. Or <laughs> no, I I think I think that everybody thinks. I think it's just about what kind of thinking resonates with who you are. Are you a feminist? You know, uh, I am a feminist. Yes, I am. But I. I'm the kind of feminist that takes a lot of care to not uh, succumb to certain misdirections. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me explain that very uh, clearly with a simple example, so that it doesn't get misconstrued. Um, if I'm, and I give this example whenever a conversation like this comes up. I mean, I'm if asking I, in a good way. I, I think it's good to be a feminist. Go ahead. You, you, sh- you yeah, should be a feminist. A, yeah, of course it. I think I. I think the fact that you and I are able to converse like this about all these topics without fear of judgment is oh for because, sure because you know there was a time when women were not allowed any of this right some misdirections are inadvertent you know the intention is in the right place i'll give you a small example if i take the metro okay uh-huh. uh and uh, i see a gentleman sitting on a, on a seat and um i'm carrying grocery bags and my office bag and he's carrying his grocery bags and his office bag I'm the kind of feminist who would not expect him necessarily to give his seat to me, sure, because of the sense of equality. Mm-hmm. You've had a long day. I've had a long day. You're carrying your groceries after work. I'm carrying my groceries after work. You got there before me. You got the seat. You're tired. You keep sitting. Sure, it's fine. Out of out of a sense of chivalry, he might offer it to me. Yeah, I understand. But just like he would decline the seat gracefully, I would decline the seat gracefully. Sure. You're tired. You're just you're just as tired as me. Please remain seated. Got it. That that's the kind that's the kind of feminist I am. I am not that kind of person who is gonna 
take a selfie or a video of myself in the metro saying look at this dude chivalry is dead hashtag chivalry is dead oh god no i would not expect you wouldn't be on the podcast trust me even though we've just spoken once but i knew that i mean that i i i i wouldn't expect that so sorry yeah i i i i went down the feminist path but you were still on uh, no, thinking no, totally no 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 it's a perfectly it's a question i'm i'm proud to answer it's a question i'm proud to answer and i hope i haven't uh, caused any um, misunderstandings or mis- there's no misconstruction because this is a topic where what people say is misconstrued easily which is why i use this example because i think it's a, it's a simple and easy don't worry this understand. is not uh, arnab goswami show i'm sure uh, you know you can get away with saying whatever the hell you want and so can i and this is why i like uh, podcasting as a medium because i don't want to be censored i want to abuse if i want i want to get upset about something if i want and i want the person who's in discussion with me to have that freedom as i said i want this and i always every person who comes on the podcast when i send them an email pre the podcast it's like you know this is you and me having a cup of coffee talking about what the hell we want without uh, judgment uh, if somebody wants to take it in a you know you can take the best thing in the worst possible way if something it depend you know this is so subjective right somebody can take great offense to something you just said or something i said and that's i mean screw them honestly right so that, this this is the uh, this is my podcast so if you don't like it guys you can switch off right now there you go there you go so um i'm just bringing the conversation to um what we were talking about in terms of um, yeah so then you was thinking totty was kind of born uh, out of that totty was just the name just threw out and uh, uh i was like yeah, think, thinking men like thinking totties and i knew that a lot of people would ask me what it means here and th- i put i describe it like that urban street the word totty is hmm. urban street slang for smart sexy intelligent woman and when okay. you google it it gives you that kind of when you google it it gives you that kind of uh, object- yeah i think i think smart sexy intelligent woman makes, makes sense i'm not so. sure i like it very much it's my interpretation of of something i mean what's wrong in saying smart sexy intelligent woman hmm. nothing's wrong in that um uh, a thinking man would never objectify anybody man or woman sure and i should like to be the thinking daughter of such a thinking man understood so it's just as i said it's it's a easy playful carefree wordplay uh and uh, a lot of people tell me that you know it's bad etiquette to refer to someone who's a blogger who has a blog by their blog name in in, in person Mm-hmm. i've i've been introduced as thinking dotty like people would say at events this is thinking dotty and i don't mind it at all yeah because I, I, i i don't know why it, why would you mind it because you you that's your screen that's name, name or that's your yeah that's, that's, that's yeah so why would you mind it's it's absolutely fine and i and i love every aspect of my name name as well so you can call me sumiran you can call me anna maria you can call me my entire full name It's, it's all, so your it's your, your middle name is also intriguing. We're still on names. I haven't even got to the main stuff yet. But like that's because just you you named thinking Totty as there's there's enough you know as a subject you can keep discussing what that means. And but even yeah. your your middle name I wanted to ask you is that uh, where did where did where did you get your middle name from? Because that's an uncommon one, right? Uh, my mother my mother was uh, my mo- my mother is Anglo Indian. My late mother is Anglo Indian. Right. Um. and uh, we're baptized my two brothers and i okay so okay. Uh, we all have uh, names like this my eldest is angelo my oh, second wow. brother is andrew yeah nice. my second brother is andrew and i'm anna maria and uh, mine was inspired by the name 
mine was inspired by the name of an Italian saint. And the reason it had to be an Italian saint is because uh, my mom wished for me at the Trevi fountain. Okay. She was like, two sons, two sons, third baby, please. One girl. Got it. <laughs> so got she's it. like, oh, no, she willed a girl into existence. Wow. And she's, so I suppose that's where the name was inspired from. And um, from here, I come to uh, the early um, experiences of uh, the start of a very spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it sowed the seeds because this was the year my mom passed away. She was like, once your exams are over, let's you and I make a trip to Italy. Okay. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Fantastic. And we had a girls, we had a girls trip planned out and I had two exams left. And she's like, okay, your last exam finishes this date. We leave this date. Mm-hmm. suitcases were out they were getting packed while i was you know preparing for these exams and unfortunately the weekend before we were supposed to fly she passed on and uh, how old were you then if you don't mind me asking 20 20 that's way too young to well no age is uh, it's difficult to lose a parent at any age uh, it could have been there i mean look at the stories of people and children around the world i there are children who say that they have that they lost their parents uh, or parents so early they have no memory whatsoever they have to go by stories that their families sure. share with them i have so much more than that yeah I, honestly i i don't know what's worse uh and it's it's a difficult subject to even ask Road about as a you know from from a, an outsider's perspective but how did you deal with that and i mean since this is a wellness podcast i i think yeah. That that may help a lot of people because people deal with a lot of things may not be the loss, uh, may not be, you know, just the loss of a parent, but uh, people are always uh, mourning something in their life, even if they don't know it. Yeah. So um, that was the first time I um, experienced death and bereavement at that close quarters. Sure. So close, direct. Firstly, it was the intensity of that. Secondly, it was uh, the intensity of the unexpectedness. I, mm-hmm. I didn't think that I was going to lose it. And it was very nice. We knew, of course, there were health issues, but we didn't think it was going to be that the, the ultimate uh, result was going to be this. And it didn't see it coming. And um, how did I deal with it? Well, I went to college on Monday and I wrote my exam. Right. And I wrote the exam after that. Okay. Because that's exactly what my mother would have wanted me to do. Okay. I'm thinking of my experience. I'm not saying everyone should find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To carry uh, of course, this is about you and you know, how what people are going to learn from you. And a lot of people were very worried because they were like, she's just gotten up and gone to college and she's writing an exam. People were peeping into the exam hall to see, she's going to compass, is she going to break down? I don't know where I got the strength from. I don't know and um, I was very calm Okay. and yeah of course put it down to the fact that I hadn't processed that she had passed on possibly Mm -hmm. but I had processed she had passed on because we buried her the weekend before I wrote the exam right it had been processed Mm -hmm. but I wrote the exam on the one on the Monday and then I wrote the last exam that followed it and I went to Italy and that's it alone yeah okay and um, whoever we had, uh, you know, a contact, the, the, the person that we had uh, as uh, the friend or the acquaintance who was 
guiding us through where we could have gone to Italy. They were there to help me. Uh, they helped me make an itinerary, but it was essentially me. But sure. And um, I felt I owed it to our relationship. I felt I owed it to her. I felt I owed it to the kind of person I was meant to be to put myself through this experience. Okay. And since this is a wellness podcast, I would say that wellness to me means understanding that nothing is going to uh, leave your system uh, unless it passes through you. And this is not just about negativity. Sure. This is about uh, this is also about the positive stuff. You know, mm-hmm. when we have uh, positive experiences in life, we savor it. We try to you know um, prolong its experience. Sure. Right, uh, because you want to keep reliving that feeling over and over. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it settles down, right? Yep. The excitement or happiness of something settles down, mm-hmm. and it's the same. And it's the same with negative experiences. You eventually overcome it. Sure. Some people would argue that you never get, you never overcome it. You just learn to live with it, whatever you call it. Right. The point is that it becomes a chapter in your life. Right, rather sure. than the predominant force that's determining the way you behave on a daily basis. Sure. Although that happens for a while, right? Mm-hmm. That happens for a while, and uh, that trip uh, taught me that absolutely nothing is going to leave your system uh, unless it goes through you, and that's the first thing to understand. Dealing with the uh, death of a loved one, any loved one, does change you to a certain extent. Right. And no amount of expression or coping or what whatever it is you do to help yourself. Seems enough because I carried that kind of heaviness with me to the UK, and I felt like I was ranting or venting at friends in that sort of difficult confrontational person I would be. Right. Uh, it was my first because it was my first experience away from home. I could not relate to the fact that the one parent I was truly to be attached to was no more. That I couldn't pick up the phone and hear her voice. There was no physical anchor point of reference. Right. Uh, my brothers are as good as parents. Hmm. In fact, better in some. In some cases, I would argue, and my extended joint family uh, have always been incredibly supportive, you know, in the way uh, that that they've uh, helped me through that that particular experience. And then there are other uh, family friends who I refer to as uh, nani and masi because they're so close to me. Sure. Uh, they're, they're not family friends; they are my nani, masi, masa. You know, I I refer to them like that. I address them like that. So they've all had a role. To play in keeping me propped up, so that support system was definitely there. And people can help you through your journey; they cannot do it for you. You have to put yourself to the experience of um, experiencing it. Right. It it sounds very punitive. It sounds like you're punishing yourself. Some people take a very punitive approach. It's not necessary. No, I I I totally uh, you know agree with what you're saying because. So is exercise, right? So is yoga. Yoga is punitive for me. I enjoy it, but it hurts. And until the muscle is not hurting and sore, that's when you know that you've done something to exercise it. It's recovering. It's going to become stronger. Sure. Same way with the mind, and same way with the body. And and this this makes a lot of sense and resonates with me. And I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of people that you have to. It has to go through you. That experience has to happen. That those thoughts, those feelings have to happen. Because it's during that process of it literally coursing through your veins, do you understand what self-introspection is? Sure. And let me tell you, based on my personal experiences, self self-introspection is not a pretty process. It has its pretty moments and it has its gentle moments, but by and large, it's not. It's very disorienting. Uh, it's a lonely road. Uh, it's very enlightening, and 
you understand basic emotions that you think you knew in a very different sense we think we know what joy or sadness or detachment or letting go or pain we we think we've understood these emotions sure. you know by the time we reach whatever age we're at but we experience it so much with with such a different sort of intensity when we look at it from a self introspective point of view mm-hmm. because there's no running away from that where are you going to go running away from yourself yeah you can't and i think often enough we try but we well, see that's where you know mental health and all these things have become such a big it's, it's it's that's the real pandemic actually that we're dealing with you know this coronavirus thing is going to go away or even if it doesn't we're going to live we learn to live with it it's what this the struggle is learning to live with ourselves and i know this sounds like woo woo and oh you know this this guy is trying to just sound very intelligent but I, i've kind of done what you what you're saying too but uh, it, it so it makes a lot of sense to me that yeah. living with yourself is the hardest yeah yeah and um, i think uh, quarantine self isolation this is just um, opened our eyes up to that fact you know and uh, before we start talking about other people revealing their true colors i think if we can come to terms with the revelations of our own true colors that's that's a lot to get done in a day and it's a day by day process there there i don't think that i i don't know if i'm wrong but uh, i don't think there ever comes a day when you can say i have successfully completed self introspection right for as long as you're alive for as long as you're alive and as for for as long as you're interacting with, with other people and you're you know uh, experiencing things uh, in the world you can't say that because you are impacted by other people and experiences around you unless you want to be the frog under the stone or you want to be stuck up there in your ivory tower and you think you're better than everyone else i mean sure go ahead but yeah. i don't think that's what life is um and i don't think that's why we're born Mm-hmm. uh you know uh, we are uh, our our biggest our biggest show yes change is the only constant but i don't know why we think of change as the only constant as something that's happening uh, in an outwardly sense uh, i think our biggest we're all beings of energy right we, sure. we, whether we look at it from a science perspective or a spiritual perspective uh we're all beings of energy and our greatest gift and our greatest ability is in malleability sure you know change is the only constant but we can experience its constancy only when we embrace that malleability right uh it's fine if your intelligence is focused on a particular specialty that's mm. great that's good that means you've chosen one particular area and you're aiming at whatever level of perfection at it and you're using it to make a difference in other people's life that's fantastic but if i mean i've been dealt certain cards in life and if i didn't take the malleability approach then i don't think i could particularly call myself intelligent because isn't it supposed to be a function of intelligence that if a particular environment is not conducive or if certain decisions you've made are not working out you should be able to apply the same fervor the same curiosity the same uh, hard work hmm. the same sense of enterprise to something else you should be able to mold your atten- uh, intelligence to whatever else life throws at you and i'm not saying ev- that's why i give the example of people who are specialists i'm not saying that those who do that right. and change to one they aren't intelligent no of mm-hmm. course not i'm just saying that if you've been dealt certain cards where you have to look at malleability in the way that i have in whatever i've explained to you so far um do your best 
to embrace that malleability and then uh, you know start thinking about what intelligence can mean and i still use that word very carefully when it comes to my life if i mean if i can just say that yes you know i've been dealt x cards and this is how i've dealt with them and this is what i've done out of the cards that have that have been dealt to me uh, and this is what i've done to help those around me hmm. then yeah like i've done something. and there always has to be some sort of service orientation right at whatever level whatever you do i think there has to be some sort of service orientation for for one to experience contentment i place a higher premium on contentment hmm. than i do on happiness you know uh, and contentment comes from a sense of um, replenishment and that replenishment comes when you share i think you share negative stories you experiences you share positivity if you have a gift you share it with the world if you have more than you need you share some of that with the world and that sets into motion a cyclical process of replenishment and i think that's what keeps the collective consciousness alive and that's what i meant when i said when i read your book that someone out there who's an extension of the collective consciousness is writing a book like that someone out there is reading a book like that right you know uh and uh, you you've made your contribution to the collective consciousness by writing that book i've made my contribution by talking about how it might have made a difference to my life because it would inspire someone else sure it, it just sure. goes on and on and on so but all this so that you're I, saying there is such a strong uh, spiritual if not if not undercurrent i mean that you know there's just spirituality in in a lot of what you're saying and that brings me to you know what i had introduced you with uh, which which was you you've said you're your you know you're a scholar of divination methods and divination. The, the, the metaphysical healing and the metaphysical world and and we were discussing this on the phone uh, you know last week so this yeah. is an area yeah. that that uh, fascinates me i i don't know much about it i know a little bit about it and there is a huge uh, wellness angle to this which uh, perhaps needs to be spelt out um it may not be as obvious as lifting weights or having apple cider vinegar which are you know in your face wellness but you know th- this this the spiritual aspect and which is why uh, i've only gone into this a little bit in uh in my uh, in episode uh, 13 or was it ep- episode 12 which was uh, shweta kapoor she's a buddhist so we spoke in the end a bit about you know chanting and what buddhism means to her and that now coming up again with you and it's a very strong energy if i can use that word so can you just uh, you know go into that a bit in terms of what your uh, practice of you know divination methods and your, your the metaphysical understanding that you have and uh, there's a lot of other stuff that you do tarot angel communication crystal healing so you know this is an area that has not been explored on the on the podcast and which is why i mean we can just keep talking which is why i told you keep to us free <laughs> because uh, i know there are people who are interested in this who are going to want to hear about it and i'm definitely interested in it my affinity with these divination methods tarot angel cards crystals is the result of me uh, reconnecting with uh, the kind of child i was and the kind of adult i could have been had i just uh, taken that child by the hand and taken her through life's processes um i remember and this is the result of uh, certain kind of meditation practices when i was little i i always had an you know intuitive affinity to these realms i had something of a i had something of a photographic memory i used to connect with patterns and symbols 
uh, in a very intense way and i never used to even talk to my mother or my siblings about it because i used to think it they, they wouldn't understand where i'm coming from but i as a child i didn't really need i felt like i didn't really need a lot of friends as long as i had my books and as long as i had you know my coloring books where i used to work with these patterns and these and um, i grew up with all my cousins uh, around me you know we, we've all grown up in the family home where where i live and as as a bunch of kids we didn't need we felt like we didn't need other kids in the in the you know colony um and so i i had friends in that sense because i was growing up with cousins but i liked to spend time by myself uh i was extremely hypersensitive as a child i still am quite hypersensitive i do mm-hmm. turn on the tap quite easily but when i was little i was another level of hypersensitive i used to actually feel very very deeply for life and for inanimate objects as well and you know it's easy to brush that off when you when it's a child because you think it's a child a child yeah. will feel bad if their favorite bunny got hurt or their mm. favorite desk got hurt or you know they feel for the you know what animals uh, on the street um in in the way that children do but it was a little bit more than that i genuinely felt like i could understand what was going on in the head of that animal wow we call that we call that some strong level of empathy now right in spiritualist means these are all signs and symbols of very strong empathetic personalities mm-hmm. um i would feel very strongly for other kids i would feel very strongly for my brothers uh, you know my brothers grew up in boarding school so when we used to see them off at boarding school i used to bawl my eyes out and to the to the observer it would seem like the kid is crying because her brothers are going to boarding school i was actually crying because i felt that i could feel what they were feeling. sorry everyone misses home when they're in boarding school everyone feels um nervous or anxious or worried or whatever i mm. felt like i could feel those things but because there was an age difference because i was so little i did, there wasn't a lot of communication around those things but i felt like i could feel those mm-hmm. and i have very clear memories of those you know me sitting in the car seeing my brothers off it's very clear memories you can feel very strongly broadly speaking understood and i didn't really and i didn't really do much about it okay and i feel like if i had growing up then i would be a lot more impactful as a speaker i'm quite chatty no i think you're co- you're, 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 you're you're making an impact don't worry about that but when you say i could have uh, done something about it what can you elaborate on that what do you mean by well, you, you mean delve into the subject a bit more or get into yeah, some sort of practice to, meditation or something like that i used to have a lot of sensorial experiences which i used to report to my mother okay but um she would just put it down to a child's uh, imagination mm. or she would find ways to you know placate me and say that this is what you're feeling that is what you're feeling my mother was a very spiritual and uh, prayerful person okay so she did speak to a priest and things like that but uh, I don't remember anything being done further about it. So, um and then it it just started coming to me with pressing urgency much later in life, I e now. And when I was gifted my first deck of tarot cards, when I saw the rich symbolism on the deck, mm. I felt a direct connection with that kid, you know. Okay. Uh, Got it. Yeah, that excitement came right back. And um that's why that particular deck is is always my favorite. It's called the thought 
Tech, yeah, I you know, there was there was some I was actually Googling this. I mean, of course, I knew tarot and I know a bit about it, but thought and, and there are like six different ways to pronounce this. So what is the right way in, in, in our Indian English, the right way to pronounce it? Because uh, in, I've heard like three different ways to pronounce it for sure. In the way that you would pronounce the word oath. OK, so. So. And what does that it, mean? I mean, is this a kind, special kind of tarot or tarot's tarot or the different forms of tarot? He's an Egyptian god. Uh, right. uh, this particular tarot is quite eclectic in its foundation stones in the sense that it combines uh, spirituality and mysticism from a variety of um, methodologies or thought processes from cultures around the world. But w the ones that stand out for me uh, are uh, the Jewish Kabbalah. Or okay. the tree of life, as okay. the as the Kabbalah explains it, and uh, Egyptian mysticism. Okay. So he is a god of uh, Thoth, Thoth is a god of uh, spirituality, science, magic, and healing and writing. Wow. So when I learned that, I felt an even stronger affinity with this deck. So this is a bit of an so, odd uh, gift for a child. I mean, I have. I mean, uh, did. You were gifted tarot cards. Uh, no, I was not gifted uh, this as a child. I was gifted this now as a grown-up. You were gifted this that when now. When I was gifted, okay. it, I, I reconnected with the right. Okay, with I understood. The Sorry, I, I misunderstood. Yeah, I, I understand now. So uh, I, you know, I had such a strong interest in symbolisms and what they mean, and I, I used to love riddles, puzzles, visual puzzles like that. So um, it, it revived that excitement and intuitive connect with symbolisms. Okay. What do symbols mean? They could have religious uh, significance, cultural significance. They could just be geometrical shapes that mean different things, you know. And um, I just uh, went down that uh, proverbial rabbit hole all, yeah. all over again. And I couldn't be happier in life uh, because I feel like I'm closer to that kid, uh, you know, now. And a lot of people think that there's no logic to the way tarot cards are there. It's, it couldn't be far from the truth. It's actually... Uh, an incredible combination of science, art, and maths. Okay. And I'm horrible at maths, and I'm, I was horrible at physics, <laughs> too, but this maths I can do. Okay. This maths I can do, and the and the metaphysics side of physics I can do. So, uh, you know, the, the the way the symbols are drawn out on tarot cards are, are a reflection of the way the universe functions. And there's a lot of similarities in the way... Um, there are certain similarities in the way, uh, you know, the, Jew, the Kabbalah tree of life and say maybe the Vedic uh, understanding of the workings of the cosmos are, okay. are, are explained. The numbers, the numbers on the cards uh, from 0 to 10 uh, reflect certain characteristics about the, way the, about the way the divine realm and the human realm interact with each other. Okay. So we're, we're so used to, we're so used to as human beings thinking that because we're humans and then there's a god or there's a divine being or a divine force out there, mm. we are ruled only by the divine. Right? Okay. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a two-way process. The mm. divine is also influenced by what human beings do. It's not just that, it's not a prescriptive formula. It's not that we're sitting and waiting for the divine to do this. Okay. Uh, or, uh, although we tend to do that, right? We have a question, we run to the divine, uh, we want to celebrate, we, we run to the divine. Uh, we think that the divine acts and therefore we act. No, it's a two-way process. The divine gets affected by the way the human behaves uh, and the decisions that the human being makes as well. Okay. So uh, each number has a significance in terms of a personality trait 
or whether it corresponds to masculinity or femininity. Okay. And when you combine those things, uh, you get some sort of an idea. You're able to make an interpretation according to the context of the question that someone asks. So if you ask me a question related to your work or your personality or uh, soul purpose, anything else, a significant life is and a particular card comes out, um, the number on that card right. and the particular aspects of femininity or masculinity plus the particular aspect of elements of the cosmos that it relates to will help make an interpretation that will form the basis of the answer to your question. So it's it's quite similar to the way other scientific or artistic or mathematical um, schemes of thought work. It does require study, it does require experience because of this reason. Because you have to understand what each number on the key of life means. You have to understand the way it came to be constructed. You have to understand why this corresponds to masculinity and why this is femininity, why these qualities here, why those there, how they combine with each other and how they, uh, you know, uh, express themselves in humanity. So, yes, there is a lot of research and study and practice that's required. But the way you do it opens up your natural intuitive capacity. So you combine the two when you're reading it. A lot of uh, skeptics or critics of any of this this entire realm of you know the metaphysical and and tarot and and fortune tellers and in in, our, in Hindus is patris and you know all all astrology this stuff is that so much of it it's subjective in the sense that there is a generic let's say one to ten what as you're saying the what what the interpretation is it may be actually it's open to interpretation you uh, zero to ten. So you may interpret it the same question and I've, I've pulled out the same card if I've gone to three different, uh, let's say, uh, these tarot readers. All three may interpret it differently or the other criticism is that all three of them may interpret it so generically that it may fit anyone and any situation. And that, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about because... And I, I, uh, and, and a lot of the people who, who do this and who are not as perhaps spiritually connected to it and who are trying to make money from it or whatever they're trying to do from it is a lot of it is considered to be uh, a con artist game. And I, and I say that with, you know, I, I don't say that for you, but uh, because I've met so many of them and I've written about that in my in my book, there's a, there's a chapter on psychics and self-fulfilling prophecies and how I've unfortunately trashed that a bit. But um, And I've just generically done that with the people that I have met. And sure. it didn't work for me because uh, I went to these people or I ended up interacting with these people when I actually needed to see a therapist rather than a, you know, a psychic. I needed to see a psychologist, not a psychic. And a lot of times they can pick up that they sense that you know this person is in trouble and most of the times people are in trouble when they go to people like this and and you get taken advantage of you know people take advantage of you sometimes so i've asked you a lot of things so but yeah yeah no no okay so there's a reason why there's an established form of study to it then hmm. and why you're expected to spend some time um, understanding how it works it's like studying for any other course right? right you understand the theory of it and and the background of it so because there is one way that well because there is the there is the kabbalah will be the same whether you read it or i read it okay if i gave you like it's the same book right yeah I mean, introduction to kabbalah 
Yes, yes, understood. Be the same information, and this, the the tree of life or the sephirot and its em, uh, and its elements of the sephira, uh, they are going to be explained the same way whether you read uh, a book here in India or you read a book in America, right? Sure. Yeah. They are in established ideas, um, in the same way that introduction to physics or biology or English or maths would be the same everywhere, right? Whether mm. you're in this school or that school, the base, the fundamentals are the same. Right. So those are to be studied for that sense of standardization. Mm -hmm. So if I say that I'm a student of Kabbalah and someone else says they're um, a student of Kabbalah, when we both talk Kabbalah, we should be able to understand what we're saying to sure. each other. Yeah. Because we're studying the same standardized set of information, mm. right? The, the tree of life or the sephirot itself is very dynamic. That's a separate thing. But the fundamental theory as to how it came to be constructed, the interaction between the between divinity and humanity, uh, uh, and the and the meaning of the numbers, etc. That's all the same, right? Okay. So yeah. um, so that's that's the standardization bit, um, and that's exactly when a good tarot reader will always politely reiterate that you have to give them some sort of a question or an area of inquiry before you start your reading as the quest. Sure. Okay. Um, if you came to me for a reading, I would always ask you, do you have a specific question in mind um, or a particular area that the question pertains to? Okay. Because that helps, that helps keep the free interpretation within the context of that area. Okay, yeah. So, but the problem is with Tarot. the interpretation, right? That's what my, my question was, that you so, may interpret yeah, exactly. it differently. Yeah. So, people, than... sometimes, people come to me sometimes saying, no, I don't really have a particular question, just generally, like, what's going on in my life. Uh -huh. I would never do a tarot reading for that person. Okay. Not because I don't have the competence. Not because I don't have the competence, but because um, if you don't know why it is that you need my help, right? how can I help you? I hope you're enjoying my chat with Sumiran. This is part one of the episode. We're going to be back shortly with part two because our conversation lasted so long and we discussed so many interesting things. So I didn't want you to lose focus. So I've split it into two parts. See you soon. Voices in My Head is created and hosted by Yamira Bhar. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. We disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects that may arise from any information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications or credibility. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.